time. This is something God's been doing lately, and it's nothing we've been pushing. It's just kind of what God is doing. And when the Lord's moving, we need to move along with him. So if anybody needs prayer about anything, maybe there's something you've been praying about, the breakthrough hasn't come, whatever it could be. I don't know what it is, but I'd invite you to come. We've already had one who's here. Um, if you don't know her story, she's seeking a kidney transplant and has been waiting and has been believing. It just hasn't happened yet, but she's still believing. And so that's the story that's going on right here. But we each have our own story, and we each have our own thing that we're going through and we're believing God for. So if, if you want to this time, if you need prayer, just special prayer, just move in, and, uh, and we want to pray for you this morning. Or if you want to come and support this one who is praying, we would invite you to do that today. Let's just move. Let's go ahead and move out, and uh, we'll put that as part of our prayer this morning is God good even when we can't see it even when it's tough even when we have expected the walls to fall and they haven't fallen yet God is still good God is still good I've told people how much I praise God that he brought healing to me through my cancer situation and everything else but even if he had not he would still be good he's always good God is always good he is a good father to us and we're going to approach him this morning as family. Heavenly Father, we give you praise today. We praise you, first of all, for who you are. You are the all-powerful. You are the all-knowing. You are the ever-present God. You are everywhere, God. If we made, even as the psalmist said, if we made our bed in hell, you would still be there. God, if we rose on the wings of dawn, you would be there, God. Wherever we go, you are there, and you are able to do all things. And God, you know all things. God, you know everything. You know our every thought. You know our rising up and our laying down. You know every thought, every hair that's numbered on our head, God. You know everything. You know every sin that we've ever committed. God, even things that are hidden from the rest of the world, they are not hidden from you. And yet, God, you love us. You love us deeply. You love us enough that you sent your one and only son to die on our behalf, to give us a way back to you, to, that we could be made new. And God, the little bit of praise that we have offered here today, Lord, we could do that all day long. We could do that 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it would, be never, it would never be enough to glorify who you are. But thank you that we get to offer a little bit back to you. Thank you that we get to do that today. Lord, I pray for the one who has come who is in need. God, she's been in need for a while. She's been expecting a breakthrough, God, and it, it just doesn't seem like it's on the horizon. But God, we know that you specialize in things that we think are impossible. And so, God, we're just believing right now that you are going to heal you're going to provide what she needs and father she's going to be able to glorify you she does it already even in the midst of the storm but she's going to be able to glorify you for what you have done and god i know there are other needs represented this morning i know that probably if the thoughts our thoughts were revealed we would be shocked at the needs that we each have but god you're able to provide everything your arm is not short. It's not broken, God. It's not like you're poor. Our Father is rich. 
and he has everything that we need. And so, God, we come to you today, and we just ask that you would meet those needs once again. And God, we are reminded this morning that above all, we need righteousness. We need holiness. We need to be set apart. God, we don't want to presume upon your grace. We're so thankful that we are saved by grace. We are not saved by our works. We never could be. But God, we do not want to presume upon your grace and just live like we don't know you. But God, we want to live like we know the God in heaven and the God that lives within us. And so help us to live holy lives, God. Help us to be unashamed of calling for holy lives here, God. And God, I'm so thankful that holiness is not wrapped up in our outward appearance or certain religious rituals. But our holiness is wrapped up in putting you first, loving you first, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. And so, God, I pray that you would help us do that more and more. You're here today. You're moving. You're blessing, God. And I just pray today that we would be attentive to what the Spirit is saying to us today as a church and as individuals. Help our cup to be upturned so we can receive what you have for us. Thank you, God, for your presence. Thank you that you love us. Thank you for your goodness to us. We love you, we praise you, and above all, we magnify the name of Jesus today. It's in his name we pray all these things. Rushwood said together, amen. Thank you for praying with us this morning. You may be seated. Yeah, Pastor Jason's bragging a little bit this morning, but... Uh, I went to UNCG, although I'm a Carolina basketball fan, I went to UNCG, and so it makes it easy for me to say today, go Spartans, go Spartans. But uh, we like to have fun around here, but we also like to be serious about God and his word. By the way, I, just, I, I was thinking this while we were singing. And maybe I've said it before, and maybe you're tired of hearing it, and bless your heart if you are, you'll probably hear it one more time. Um, but you're really, you're sitting in a miracle this morning. I've talked to lots of church experts. I've talked to people who have been in the business of church, if we want to put it in those terms, probably not a great way to put it, but people who know church inside and out, and they say that there's no way this church should be here. They say there's no way that we should be worshiping here this morning. They say that this church should have shut the doors long ago with everything that went through. But you're sitting in a miracle, and the walls fell here, and we're here today, and God has made a way for us to come together and to love each other and to be unified and to grow in Jesus Christ. And so I forget that sometimes because I'm a perfectionist if I'm not careful, and I always want more, and, and I always have these goals and everything, and I forget sometimes what God has already done. And sometimes I forget to raise my Ebenezer and say, thus far has God been faithful. Has he been faithful with you this morning, church? Has he been good to you this morning, church? I know we've got a lot going on in our congregation. We have, uh, we have some families that, that in a couple of months or within the next couple of months will be moving. And if you don't know who they are, you'll probably, probably find that out. And I know that we've had some people who are undergoing physical issues, and I know that we we have some people who have lost jobs recently, and there's, there's a lot going on. And you don't always hear about all of it, but I hear about a lot of it. I don't hear about all of it myself. 
Um, but I just want to remind you, wherever you are, whatever situation you're going through, God is faithful. God is faithful, and he is good, and he will not fail you. He's never failed you yet, and he's not going to fail you now. And so, uh, and trust in him. Trust in him this morning. If you feel like you're on the edge, if you feel like you're ready to give up, don't give up. Trust in him. The morning's coming. Yeah, that's what I love. <laughs> I, love uh, I love that concept of Easter. It was dark, and, you know, after Good Friday, then there was Holy Saturday, and there was just, seemed like there was silence from God on Holy Saturday. It seemed like Jesus was dead and he was going to stay dead and his, all the promises, all the things that he said were, were going to come to nothing. But then came Sunday morning. Then came the light. Then came the dawn. Then came the breakthrough. Then came the miracle. And life is like that. That's a metaphor for life sometimes. It seems like we're not going to be able to make it, but then comes that morning. And the resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us if we know him. I'm about to preach something, ain't even my sermon this morning, so I'm going to have to go uh, get, get into our sermon outline. But I just want you to hold on. Somebody needs to hear that this morning, I believe. Just hold on. Just hold on. The dawn is coming. The morning is coming. God is still on the throne, and he's still good. Well, this morning we are continuing our series, The Seven Signs of John. The Seven Signs of John. And we're up to the fifth sign of John. I can't believe that we've made it this far into this series. Man, I've enjoyed preaching this series. I enjoyed the last series that we, we preached. Uh, I thought that was a, a great series, even if I did put it together, called Why I Believed. I enjoyed preaching that one. I've greatly enjoyed preaching this one. And I just want to remind you, the seven signs of John, it says it right there in the Gospel of John, they are there to remind us who Jesus is so we can place our faith in him and so that we can know that there is power in his name power in the name of Jesus Christ. And so that's what it's reminding us about. We're up to the fifth sign, and this sign kind of begins right after, in the book of John, it kind of begins right after last week's sign. Last week's sign was the feeding of the 5,000. It was the miracle that Jesus did with the fish and the loaves. He fed 5,000 men, not including women, not including children. The greatest meal ever, I would suppose, that Jesus broke those things and distributed them to the multitude that had come and they ate their fill. I didn't point this out last week because it didn't really fit into the flow of everything, but I'll point it out this week. Jesus even did a little thing. God even worked a little thing there for the disciples. There were 12 disciples and after they were done, they were able to pick up 12 basketfuls of leftovers. And there was a couple of things there. One of those, I believe those 12 basketfuls were assigned to Israel. They were assigned to Israel because there were 12 tribes of Israel, but there were also 12 disciples, and I believe that that was a sign under those disciples that, look, the one you're following, the Messiah that you're following, your rabbi, your Lord, he is able to do all things, and he's able to provide for you as well. And so after the 5,000 were fed, then the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of leftovers. And the people had expected a prophet the people had expected a prophet. In fact, one of the things about the Messiah was that he was expected to be able to feed multitudes. This miracle actually was a kind of a fulfillment of prophecy, uh, a thing that they expected. Moses in the Old Testament, God had worked through Moses to provide for the children of Israel during their desert wanderings, and he provided manna for them. And if you're wondering what manna is, that's a good question because manna literally means what is it? That's literally what it trans translates to. Manna means, what is it? I don't know, it's food, it's sustenance, but what is it? 
but Moses had provided, or God had provided through Moses, the manna in the wilderness. But Jesus had gone even further, and he provided fish, and he provided bread for the multitude that had surrounded him. Because of that, there had been a promise of a prophet in Deuteronomy chapter 18, one that would come, one that would be like Moses. And so the Jewish people at that time expected one like Moses, a prophet like Moses, to arise and to come onto the scene. And so when Jesus fed the 5,000, they said, that's him. It's got to be him. He's one like Moses. He's providing food for the multitudes. And so immediately the people want to make Jesus their king. But Jesus sends them away and he slips off into the hills quietly because he knows that's not God's plan. That's not the way it's all going to unfold. Jesus could not be the type of king that they wanted in Israel at that time. In the Old Testament, we're given two different pictures of the Messiah. And this, for a lot of Jewish folks, there are ethnically Jewish folks, and there are folks who are practicing Jewish folks. And for a lot of them, this is a stumbling block. This is a problem. This is an issue because they're still expecting one type of Messiah when Jesus actually came as the second type. Let me explain that. In the Old Testament, two pictures of Messiah. One is the conquering king, the one who is going to come in and he's going to rule Israel and he's going to defeat the nations and he's going to be the most powerful king in human history and that is the conquering king picture of the Messiah in the Old Testament. But what a lot of our Jewish brothers and sisters missed is that in the Old Testament there's also the picture of the suffering servant. There's the conquering king, one who's going to rule with a rod of iron and one who is going to rule over the nations. And yes, that's present and that's very legitimate. But there's also the picture of the suffering servant, the one that is going to suffer on behalf of the people. He's going to suffer on behalf of God. And so they missed the idea of the suffering servant. Israel wanted the conquering king. And you know, I really can't blame them. I can't blame that that's what they wanted first. They were under the oppression of the Romans. I don't know if you've ever been somewhere where you feel like somebody had more power than you and they were unjustly treating you, but if you've ever been in that sort of situation, you want out of that situation almost by any means possible. I think it's just within the human spirit, within human nature. We don't like to be oppressed. We don't like to be held down. We want freedom, and so that's what they were desiring. I can't blame the people of Israel for wanting the conquering king, but that's not what God's plan was for Jesus. And so after he fed the 5,000, Jesus had a 5,000-man militia right there at his disposal. He had people who were ready to follow him, ready to come against Rome right there. I mean, it's like the ancient NRA, you know. They were ready to go. They were ready to go. And, I mean, who wouldn't want to follow a man who fed 5,000 people with a Lunchable? Really. I mean, this guy is powerful. This guy is strong. This guy is somebody worth following. But Jesus knew that that wasn't his mission. There's a lesson in that for all of us as well. As we go through our lives, as we try to follow God, there may be things that look good and look like great opportunities and maybe even look like what God's doing in our life, but God may have a totally different plan for us. Totally different plan. We have to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. We have to walk step by step with the Spirit because something can look good and it can look wonderful and it can even seem to line up with Scripture and everything else, but it may not be God's plan for our lives. I found this out in, in my past in, in trying to follow the Lord. It seems like before God gets me to exactly where he wants me, there's always something that seems right but isn't right. 
There's always a temptation. There's always an opportunity. Before I get to the place that's right, where God wants me to be, there's always something in, that's put in front of me, probably by the enemy that tries to get me off track. Have I experienced that as, as pastor and pastoring and ministry and everything else? And so there was a way, another off-ramp for Jesus, but Jesus wouldn't take it. He knew that wasn't his mission. So Jesus slips away in the hills and spends time alone in prayer. He's going to be the suffering servant before he returns. By the way, Jesus is coming back again. Do y'all believe that? Jesus is returning again, and this time he is coming as the conquering king. This time he is coming to fulfill all those prophecies about the one that will rule with a rod of iron and will rule the nations. He is going to fulfill those, but the first time he came to fulfill the profile of the suffering servant. So he slips away in the hills, spends time alone in prayer. That always astounds me, by the way. Jesus, God in the flesh, needed time to get away with the Father. He needed time to get alone with the Father and pray and, and seek his will and, and, and seek his love and seek his power. If Jesus needed to do that, how much more do we need to do it? Sometimes I just like, I get in my car and I'll just drive. Love my family, but when you got four kids at home, the house is not a great place to, pl to pray sometimes. Okay, it can be a little wild around. So sometimes I, and I can come to work, but if I come to work and get in the office here, it's not a great place to, I can't say that this morning, great place to pray because there's always somebody stopping by or somebody with a question. So sometimes I'll just get in my car and drive. And that's the way I pray. Or maybe I'll end up getting out somewhere, walking by a lake or walking by a river or whatever, and just spending time alone with God. I have to have that. If I don't have that, I find myself getting burned out. If I don't have that, I find myself getting off track. I have to build that into my life and able to follow, the God, follow God the way that he would want me to follow him. And if Jesus had to do it, and if, we, if I have to do it, you have to do it as well. We all need time alone with God to focus on him in prayer. So Jesus slips away into the hills, spends time alone in prayer, and that's where today's scripture picks up. It's John chapter 6, verses 16 through 21. John chapter 6, verses 16 through 21. I'm reading from the New Living Translation this morning. John chapter 6, verses 16 through 21. God's Word says this. That evening, Jesus' disciples went down to the shore to wait for him. But as darkness fell, and Jesus still hadn't come back, they got into the boat and headed across the lake toward Capernaum. Soon a gale swept down upon them, and the sea grew very rough. They had rowed three or four miles when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water toward the boat. They were terrified, but he called out to them, Don't be afraid, I am here. Then they were eager to let him in the boat, and immediately they arrived at their destination. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. The disciples did something here with Jesus, it kind of reminds me of my grandfather, Ty Singer. I never knew him. I told you guys a few weeks ago that he died when I was two or three months old, died of cancer, and I never got to meet my grandfather, Ty Singer. But evidently, there's one story about him that makes me think he must have been a gangster or a gangsta. I don't know which one, but he must have been one of those. Because I don't know, how many of you guys, when you go to the store with your wives, I, I pull this move a lot of times, take your wife to the store and you say, honey, I think I'm just going to sit in the car, and I'm going to let you go on in and do whatever you need to do, and I'll just be here when you get back. Any guys do that? Any guys? Okay, am I the only one? Drop her off, let her go in, in the Walmart. Um, 
It's dangerous now. I would tell you guys, that's a dangerous move because if your wife is my, like my wife, she's going to buy more if you're not there in the store with her. My wife says, I need to go to Walmart. I got to pick up two or three things. I got to get like some mascara, mascara and, and a gallon of milk. And then I'll, I'll be in the car and I'll look up and here comes my wife with a shopping cart with bags hanging off the side of it, like up under it, you know, just kind of. And I'm like, you said mascara and some milk. Where does all this come from? One time my wife did that. She came back. I said, darling, you know, money's low right now. Don't get very much. She came back with all that. And I told her, I said, I need to see your debit card. And when I saw her debit card, I took it over to the, the junk drawer and I got a pair of scissors out and I cut it up. I and mean, she still, I don't think, has quite forgiven me for that one. But anyway, it's a dangerous move to let your wife go in the store without you guys. But my grandfather did that. And back in those days, uh, actually, you didn't go to Walmart. You went downtown. And there were stores downtown. And so he took my grandmother downtown and he said, I'm just going to sit right here and I'm going to let you shop. And she started shopping and she kept shopping. And she kept shopping, and she kept shopping, and he was, I'm sure, looking at his watch, getting antsy. I know he's a tie singer, so he probably doesn't have a lot of patience. And anyway, eventually what he did, she didn't come back quick enough, so he just cranked up the car, put it in drive, came on back home. Now, back then, there weren't cell phones. There weren't easy ways to get in touch with people. He just left her in downtown Ashborough. Had no way home, so she had to call a taxi to take her home. And... I, this is why my grandfather was either a gangster or a gangsta, because to my knowledge, they stayed married after that, and I don't think she beat him or anything. I mean, I don't know how that would turn out today. But he just got up and left her. It's kind of what happened here. The disciples see that Jesus is away in the hills. They don't know where he is, and they say, you know what? He told us to go on. We might as well just go on back home. And they leave Jesus, and they take off across the lake. Have you ever left Jesus? Have you ever gone someplace? Have you ever set off in some direction where he didn't tell you to go there? He wasn't coming with you. Have you ever left Jesus and just kind of went on your own way? It's a dangerous, dangerous place to, to be. They left him and they went home. I want to show you. I, th I thought this was amazing. Uh, if I get the picture of the Sea of Galilee up there. No, not that one. That's a good one, though. I like that one. That's the one. That's the one. All right, Sea of Galilee, shaped, they say, kind of like a harp. It's really just a big lake. We talk, call it the Sea of Galilee, but it's really just a big lake. But where the green star is, that's about where Jesus fed the 5,000. As best as we could tell, that's where he fed the multitude. They had followed him from the left side all the way up around the lake to where he finally taught them and finally fed them. So that green star is where they started out. That's where Jesus went up into the Golan Heights to pray and to seek God and to commune with his Father. The red star is Capernaum, and they believe that was Jesus' base of ministry. Kind of his, he may have even had a home there. He didn't stay in it very much because he was wandering around and he was teaching and he was preaching and he was healing people. But that was basically his base of ministry. So the disciples saying, look, it doesn't look like Jesus is coming back anytime soon. We're going to go on and we're going to take off back to Capernaum and maybe he'll meet us there. And so the disciples actually take off from the green star, and they're headed toward the red star. If you'll notice where the yellow line is across there, that's where Jesus walks on water. And you say, well, looks like he was off base a little bit. Let's get back into what was going on, and I'll tell you why it looked like he was headed the wrong direction. 
They're headed for Capernaum. They figure Jesus will probably meet them there. But boy, are they ever in for a surprise. The disciples leave the light of the world behind them and they head off into the dark. They leave Jesus behind them and they head off into the darkness. Now the Sea of Galilee is about 600 feet below sea level. It's a low, not the lowest place on earth, but it is a low place on earth. The land to the north of it is shaped in such a way, up there above where that red star is, it's shaped in such a way that actually storms can develop real quickly. High pressure, low pressure, all that stuff can change, and all of a sudden you have a storm that just sweeps in on the lake, on the Sea of Galilee, just so quickly that you don't even see it coming. And the sea is so shallow, the Sea of Galilee is not a really deep lake. And so it's so shallow that it does not take a lot. Once a storm comes, it doesn't take a lot to stir up the waters and cause all sorts of turbulence and all sorts of problems. And so if you're out on the lake, in a minute this thing can sweep in and it can put you in danger. So the disciples are in a boat, they're in the dark, and they're caught in this storm that comes up. And they are being blown further and further away from shore. Probably what they would have done was go right around the top of the lake there, right and stay next to the shore. If anything happened, boat capsized or anything, they'd be able to swim to shore. But they're getting blown further and further out into the lake. And so the Bible tells us they are now three or four miles out into the middle of the lake. And if they capsize there in those kind of seas, they're very likely to drown. They're very likely not to make it. So their situation is not far from hopeless. There's a quote out there that says that we can live so much time without food, we can live so much time without water, but mankind can't go a single second without hope. When we lose hope, we are very close to the end. When we lose hope, we are very close to the enemy actually winning. And they're not very far from being hopeless. But then they see a figure walking on the water. They see a figure walking on the water. How in the, you say, how in the world? Okay, this is the time before artificial light. They're in the middle of the lake and it's at night. How in the world could they see that there was a figure walking on the water? Well, the Bible tells us this was very near to Passover. Passover is always the time of a full moon. And so there was a full moon. And so you imagine you're on a lake, middle of the night, and there's just enough full moonlight that you can see somebody's out there. You can see something is out there. That's the situation that the disciples are in. Doesn't say it in the book of John, but Matthew and Mark tell us the disciples are terrified. They think Jesus is a ghost. And so when we hear that, we kind of laugh at the disciples and we say, oh man, they're crazy. You know, those disciples, they think Jesus is a ghost. That's silly. That's stupid. But if you are in the middle of the lake, three or four miles out in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the night, full moon, you can barely see, and all of a sudden you see a figure coming across the lake, you might think the same thing. We, we think they're silly, but you might think the same thing, that something crazy is going on here, and it really, it really was. Jesus was coming to them in the middle of the storm. Here's what I want to key in on this morning. Verse, chapter six, verse 620, Jesus says to them, It is I, don't be afraid. It is I, don't be afraid. I believe Jesus may be trying to say that to somebody this morning. It's I. Don't be afraid. Maybe you got yourself into the situation. Maybe it was your decision. Maybe it was your foolishness that got you into the situation. Or maybe a storm just came in your life out of nowhere and you didn't expect to end up where you are, but you're getting pushed further and further from the shore, further and further away. Maybe 
you're out there in the middle of the lake. Jesus comes to you and he says, it is I, don't be afraid. And the Bible tells us when they took him into the boat, they immediately reached their destination. They took him in the boat, and and some believe that was a second miracle because they were in the middle of the lake. But the Bible says as soon as they took him into the lake, immediately they arrived where they were going, where they were headed for. They got there. When Jesus said, it is I, don't be afraid. If you go back to the original Greek, there's actually two words there, ego, I, me. And they actually translate to, don't be afraid, I am. Don't be afraid. I am. That's the sacred name of God. When Moses said, I've got to go back to Pharaoh. Got to go back to Pharaoh. When God told him to go back to Pharaoh, and he said, who, who should I say sent me? I'm going to go to the most powerful person in the world, and I'm going to say, let my people go so they may worship me. Who am I talking about? Who has sent me? And, and God said to Moses, tell him that I am has sent me. Literally, that means I am whoever I am. I will be whoever I want to be. In other words, God is powerful. God's in control. God has everything he needs. He is the God of the universe. And here Jesus uses the name of God and he says, don't be afraid. I am. Jesus referred to himself by the sacred name of God. He was reminding the disciples not only was he walking on the water, but the one who was walking on the water actually made the water actually made the water. He, the Bible tells us that Jesus was there. He was present. He was involved in creation. It's not like just God the Father. No, Jesus, it tells us in the book of Colossians, everything that was created was made by him. And nothing was made that he did not make. So the water that Jesus was walking on, he made. He was in control of it. He was above it. In fact, he was the creator of it. Not only could Jesus walk on the sea, but he once parted the Red Sea. When Moses and the children of Israel needed deliverance, and by the way, that's, a, that's an image of baptism. Let me talk on baptism for just a second here because we're going to have baptism on Easter Sunday morning. And a lot of times I have people who are unsure should they be baptized or not. Let me tell you how you know if you should be baptized. You should be baptized if you have come to Jesus and received him in faith. If you've never been baptized before, if you are a Christian and you've decided to follow Jesus, you should be baptized. And I have some people say, well, you know what? I'm just not living a perfect life yet. I'm just not, I I still have some things I'm struggling with. Look, it's not about that. When you come to be baptized, you are saying, I have decided to follow Jesus and I'm not turning back. I'm moving forward. The cross is before me. The world is behind me, just like the old song says. And it doesn't mean that you have to have arrived. It doesn't mean that you have to be perfect. Being baptized is simply you saying, I have made this decision that Jesus is going to be the Lord of my life, and not only do I want him to be the Lord of my life, I want everybody to know about it. It's a coming out party for a Christian. You're letting everybody know that Jesus is your Lord and you are following him. So you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have all your sin in your past. There used to be a belief way back in church history that if you were baptized and you ever sinned again, then you were lost. It doesn't work that way. I wish I could say I got baptized when I was eight years old. I wish I could say that I never sinned after I was baptized. I would love to be able to say that, but it simply would not be true. But I was able to say after I was baptized and if I ever did something wrong, I could go to Jesus and I'd say, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. You are my Savior. I have been baptized in your name. Would you please forgive me? Would you please help me to do better? Would you please restore me? And he always did. 
He all, and that's what it's really about. So if you're on the fence and you don't know if you should be baptized or not, if you have decided to follow Jesus, you need to be baptized. Also, let me say this, I believe there is something powerful in baptism. I don't believe in it just as a dead symbol. I don't preach it that way. I don't teach it that way. I don't believe in it that way. I believe baptism, actually, there is a grace in it that gives you power for your life, that gives you power to live for Him. I don't believe you're saved. Now, if you've never been saved, if you've never come to Jesus as your Savior, I've said this before, and I'll say it again, I can dunk you in that water back there all you want me to, and it will not save you. It's not the water that saves you. It's accepting Jesus. It's repenting of your sins. It's the Holy Spirit coming in and living in your life. But baptism is letting everybody know, hey, that's happened. John Wesley put it this way, it's an outward sign of an inward work. It's a sign of what has happened, the grace that has happened in your life. And so we have a baptism sheet back there. If you're on the fence about it, I hope I helped you decide to go ahead with it if you're following Jesus. Be public about your faith. Sign up. We'll get you more information. We would love to baptize you on Easter. I don't think there's any better day than to be baptized than Easter Sunday morning. It's a wonderful time, and so we hope that you will participate in that. But Jesus parted the Red Sea for Moses. It's a symbol of baptism. It's a symbol of the freedom in Jesus Christ. So not only could he walk on the sea, but he could part the sea if he wanted to. Not only was this liquid substance under the feet of Jesus under his feet, but everything was under his feet. The whole world, everything. You know, and sometimes I, wa I watch news a lot and I see governments that are rising up and I see how Christians are mistreated and I see how around the world Christians are being abused and killed. And, and you think, oh man, this darkness is just going to overcome the church. It's going to overcome the light of the world. No, it's not. It absolutely is not because all that's under the feet of Jesus. All that's under his feet. He is going to be the victor. He's going to be the one that gives us the victory in the end. So this morning, I just came by here to tell you this. When you're in the dark, when you're lost at sea, when you're drifting, and when you're about to drown, Jesus is still God and he's still good. He's still God and he's still good. I hate drift. You know, if you, if you were just to get in a, a, say you got in a canoe, got in a, some sort of small boat, and you just sat on a lake, and you did nothing, what's going to happen? You're going to drift. Automatically, you're going to drift. You don't have to do a single thing. If you're not doing what's right, if, you don't do, if you're not doing what you need to, you're automatically going to drift. And that happens in our spiritual lives as well. Sometimes we haven't done one thing wrong, we haven't committed some grave sin. We haven't, you know, come against God in some way. We simply have just not done the things that we needed to do to maintain the right relationship. We've not been reading our Bible. We've not been worshiping the way that we should. We haven't been surrounding ourselves with other Christians. And sometimes when we don't do the right things, we drift away from Him. We drift away from the one who loves us so. The great thing is if you found yourself in that position, and I imagine in a crowd this size, somebody has... If you have found yourself in that position, all you have to do is call out to him and he'll all of a sudden be in the boat with you. He'll all of a sudden help you arrive at your destination. He'll all of a sudden turn everything around. He'll calm the storm and he'll help you to get where you're going. So this morning, look, guys, I don't have some powerful video to show you or some amazing illustration to wrap this all up with or I don't have some personal story that I want you to connect with. I don't have any of that this morning. Instead, I just want to encourage you. We're just going to take a few seconds here. And I just want you to listen to the voice of Jesus. Just listen 
to the voice of Jesus. If you're going through the storm, if you've drifted away from him, if you have things in your life that just seem too big for you, if you seem like you're going to drown, I want you to listen. The same voice of Jesus, the same Jesus who appeared on the Sea of Galilee and told the disciples, don't be afraid, I am. He still is I am. He still is the king. He's still in charge. He's still powerful. He's still holding your world together in the palm of his hand if you'll just listen to him. So I just want us to take just a few seconds here. We're not going to take long. But I just want you to bow your head with me. I just want you to close your eyes. And I'm going to stop talking here in a second. And I want you just to speak to God in your heart about whatever might be going on with you. Maybe it's something with your family. Maybe it's something with your job. Maybe it's something with your health. Maybe you've just drifted. Maybe you used to be a lot closer to him than you are now. Maybe you've got doubts. Maybe you've got fears. I just want you to take a few seconds here, and I just want you to speak to him, and just in your heart, just say, God, tell me who you are one more time. Tell me how I can overcome this. God, just speak to my heart. Speak to me the truth of who you are. Let's listen to the voice of Jesus. Amen. We're going to stand and we're going to sing a final song. And if you feel the need to come down and pray for anything, of course, the front is open. You're welcome to come and you're welcome to pray this morning. If you need to confess something, if you need to seek him a little bit more, if I didn't give you enough time to pray there, whatever that needs to look like, the front is open. You're welcome to come down and seek him and seek the power of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, I want you to stand and I want you to just worship with us this morning. I want you to continue. As we worship, listen to him. Listen to what God is saying, the Spirit is saying to his church this morning. God is good. And I want you, if you get nothing else, I want you to get that even in our storms, even in our driftings, even in our problems, God is still good and he still loves his people. Let's worship together this morning. There is a truth. Older than the ages, there is a promise of things yet to come. There is one born for our salvation, There is a name I call in time.
God some praise this morning. Before you go, I'm going to give you a couple of assignments. Over the next couple of weeks, people will be willing to be invited and come to church that normally aren't. Christmas and Easter kind of set us up that way that they're what I would even call thin spots in the calendar where people are a little more attuned to what's going on spiritually. And so I'm asking you, invite some folks that you know need to know Jesus. Very important. Very important. The other assignment is, in just a minute, after we pray, before we go, I want you to shake hands with five different people and tell them, I love you and God loves you before you leave today. But let's pray together this morning. Father, I just pray right now that as we finish up this time before Easter, God, that you would use your people in a mighty way. Lord, wouldn't it be great if we talked about the great revival that hit Ashboro and Randolph County on Easter of 2019? And God, I'm reminded of the, the preacher who said many years ago, if you want revival, take a piece of chalk and draw a circle on the ground and stand in that circle and say, God, bring revival in this circle. God, bring revival to us. Start with us, we pray. 
Lord, I pray that you would give a, a burden to our folks that are part of this church uh, for people who are lost over the next couple of weeks. How we always want that burden, but God, give us a special burden. God, be with our concert tonight. Lord, we pray that people would get saved tonight through this. If it's just entertainment, if it's just to hear some great groups come in and sing, Lord, I, I'm not sure there's a whole lot of point to that. But if somebody comes to know Jesus, and it's worth more than the entire world. And so, God, we pray that that would happen tonight. Be with Building 429 and, and Sanctus Real and the color, God, the, the groups that are coming in. We pray that they would see this not just as a performance but as ministry. God, as we leave this place today, I pray that you would pour blessings out upon us, but not so we could heap those unto ourselves, but so we could share them with other people. Help us to share the good news about Jesus more and more. Father, we love you. We thank you that when we're lost in, in the seas of this life, Jesus is there and he comes to us and he changes everything. Thank you for the change that takes place in our hearts and lives through him. It's in his name we pray all these things. And Rushwood said together, amen. Shake five people's hands, tell them you love them and God loves them and I love you. There's nothing you can do about it. God bless you.